Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about people who deny the efficacy and safety of vaccines with my friend Vienno. Oh joy. How are you, Vienno? I'm okay. It's a very different vibe when recording during the day. Got a cup of tea here, so like that's nice at least. Some caffeine, but other than that, I'm alright. How are you? I also have my caffeine, so that's that's pretty nice. We uh, had Wi-Fi issues when we tried to record on Tuesday, and then we planned to re-record on Thursday, and we both were uh, not feeling great. So we are now recording on Saturday. <laughs> Things got uh, extremely delayed, but hopefully we'll be back on track next week, you know. Hopefully. With that, we got a bit of a... I don't know how long it's going to be, but we got a lot of stuff about vaccines to talk about. So we'll just jump right into it. Starting with the patron shout out. We would like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We would also like to thank Mo, Nicholas, and Michael, our foreign funded environmentalists. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you! Lastly, we would like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying, sure, um, than Joel Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch. We start from scratch. And that's crazy. We start from scratch. Testosterone flowing. We start from scratch. And that's crazy. Cray, cray, cray. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperial news. Now the Imperial Roundup. Hello my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from March 29th to April 2nd. Ezra spends an entire episode on someone tangentially involved with the Chinese government who was criticizing Trudeau in a single tweet. Ezra agrees with the tweet because Trudeau is bad. But... China is also bad. It was a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra sends two new rebel employees, Lincoln and Mocha, to Montreal, where they are detained and ticketed by the police. Ezra claims that the Montreal police referred to rebel media as Jew media, but has no video evidence that this occurred. And there's this weird thing, like Efron Monsanto, I haven't asked him, but I think he's Christian based on the name, and Mocha Bazirgan, he's Muslim, and Lincoln Jay, he's Christian, I think. So we have people from different backgrounds. Yankee Pollock is Jewish, but of our whole team that is going out to Montreal, other than Yankee, no one, no one is actually Jewish, and Yankee's just there. He's not there in a Jewish capacity, he just happens to be a Jew, like Lincoln happens to be Christian. It's not relevant. We're covering the news. Rebel News is not inherently a Jewish organization. In fact, 
other than Abba Yamini, I don't think we have any on-camera talent who is Jewish. Um, it's just not our central focus. Our focus is on civil liberties, on Canadian politics, a little bit on Australian politics. It's just so weird because the police in Montreal keep saying, oh, there's Jew media. There's the Jew media. Are you a Jew? They also claim that the ticketing and arrests were due to police censoring rebel news, but the video footage itself shows they were fined and arrested for refusing to wear masks. It is not illegal to cover anti-lockdown protests as journalists. It is illegal to defy mask mandates. Mokoro refers to the police as thugs wearing badges, and Ezra is now being more openly anti-police. I told you guys, I was right. The collective forces of this nation is perverted, it's corrupted, they are thugs wearing badges, that's all they are. But until Ezra stands up against police violence, against black and indigenous people, then it really isn't a cab, is it? Sheila Gunn-Reed interviews the pastor who was let out of jail for defying his bail by refusing to make sure his church followed COVID guidelines. Most of the interview was to support his victim complex and martyr narrative, but the most interesting line is when he suggests that churches that close or give in to COVID restrictions are not actually real, true churches. I want to ask you what your message would be to other pastors like yourself. Their churches aren't open or they're complying with the Alberta Health Services code. And for that, they're turning away members of their congregation. Do you have a message for them? Well, that's difficult, too, because um, just because a building has the title church on it doesn't mean it's a true church. And to the extent that churches that aren't churches are closed, um, I can take some joy in that. I don't want false churches to be open. Ezra with guest Franco Terrazano are mad that MPs are receiving automatic pay raises. Rather than discussing why we should all have automatic pay raises, they of course spend the entire episode complaining about how this is a waste of taxpayer money. They somehow connect this to jobs going away. As if more of our taxes going to their wages means jobs magically start to disappear. But it is not clear why. Mocha is on the show to talk about the reporting earlier in the week from Montreal. Mocha compares the police in Montreal to the police in his home city of Istanbul. You said one more thing to me when we were talking on the phone, um, when you were out mm -hmm. there and I was here. You said, I think you said, it's like Istanbul. Is that oh, what yeah. you said to me? In Istanbul, lately, it, this has become a thing in my, when I was living there. It wasn't like that before. There is like so many police officers everywhere. And um, these new hires, are they, they only need a high school diploma to become an officer with gun. And they go around and uh, randomly stop people at major intersections at the middle of the night in a, in a suburb neighborhood. Ezra then says that he used to wonder why Jews didn't flee Germany after Kristallnacht and before the Holocaust. But he now understands, with these lockdowns, why Jews remained in Germany. But I kept thinking, really, why didn't the Jews leave? Because in 1933, 1935, the Nuremberg Laws, 37, 38, 38 you know, uh, Reichstag fire, the Kristallnacht, all these things, and yet the Jews stayed. Some left, but why did most stay? Because they thought, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. It'll get better. He then qualifies this, saying that he isn't comparing the lockdowns to the Holocaust. He is just comparing how people coped. And I'm not comparing the pandemic to a Holocaust, but I'm comparing how we cope 
and how we minimize and how we say, no, this is fine. No, it's fine. Sure, it's a diminution of our freedoms, but we, we can handle it. I mean, I, I never thought I could understand how people could abide it and obey it and submit to it, but now I understand completely. But when you think about it, he really is comparing the two. <laughs> he also doesn't explain what he means by understand, since all he says is that, like what he learned from the lockdowns this time, was that people love to be snitches. And I also can understand how some people are drawn to an authoritarian police state who love being snitches and turning in others. I did not understand that as a child learning about the Holocaust. I understand that now. Ezra has advice for O'Toole since he's dropping even more in the polls. His first idea is for O'Toole to no longer talk to the media party. Point one. First, make the decision not to talk to the Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal media party. Just try it out for the next month. Now, I know that sounds crazy. Is it, isn't it bad enough that the media party ignores him? Well, that's the point. His second idea is for O'Toole to choose controversies of his own choosing. Second, choose controversies of his own choosing. The Liberals will drop controversies on Aaron O'Toole during the election. They've got them stored up, ready to go, waiting to go. Scandals. Candidates who have said things on social media that they're going to ask O'Toole, will you fire, whatever. So controversies are going to come. Putting uh, O'Toole forward as Mr. Bland, that's not going to do it. The idea seems to be more for O'Toole to control the media narrative, but that conflicts with Ezra's first point. How do you control the media narrative if you never talk to the media? As examples of controversies that O'Toole should focus on, Ezra lists Omar Khadr, trans women and women's sports or prisons, and immigration. Ezra thinks these are worth focusing on because he thinks the media will try to run negative stories about O'Toole for talking about this stuff, but the average Canadian who reads these stories will end up agreeing with O'Toole. And that is the week! We had covered in our last episode the fact that Rebel was being demonetized, and they got demonetized as best as we could sort of figure out because they were spreading COVID denial on YouTube. We don't know that for sure, but that's the, the YouTube people that emailed Ezra had a thing stating that they violated their harmful content rules. And when Ezra's going through the harmful content, one of the things is spreading misinformation about COVID, in particular about misinformation regarding vaccines and masks and other things like this, which... We know that uh, Ezra does, and in fact, we highlighted in some of our live streams, and I think in the last episode, Ezra had talked about a piece written by this guy named Larry, who works for Ezra at Rebel News. Larry. Larry, <laughs> who works, for, uh, who wrote for the Epoch Times, this article basically connecting the these issues with the vaccines with why, say, nurses are not taking them. Now, this week... The week after being demonetized, they seem to have gone full masks off with the vaccine. Masks off being an ironic metaphor considering that they don't like masks either. But <laughs> they really uh, decided to double down and say vaccines are bad. And they literally talked about it for four of the five episodes this week. So on March 30th, 
Ezra frames the episode around these vaccine passports. You could tell, like, this is a, a huge talking point for the right wing generally. This, like, fear mongering about vaccine passports. And I don't know how you feel about it, Vienna. Like, I'm, I'm personally not too worried about this idea. In part because we do have some of these things for schools already. So it's not like vaccine passports are a new thing. But even then, like, I don't know if you're having it so that you make sure like if people are going to see a sports event in a huge crowded arena full of people that maybe you want to make sure that people are vaccinated before they do that. Is that really, like, a harmful thing against our liberty as the right wants to frame it? Or, like, should we be worried about that? What do you think? See, I think that it's... The right is obviously, like, framing it poorly. But you look at, for example, like, what enforcement of pretty much any form of identification looks like, particularly, like, in the United States. Like, I think it would look slightly different in Canada. But, like, connection to, like, racialized issues and, like police brutality and stuff like that like if it is a you know you have to use it to get into pretty much any private space then yeah it is going to be a like system of violence especially uh, and again also for like people who like perhaps for health reasons aren't able to get the vaccine or um there was a report that came out recently that something like it's estimated that like seven million people in the u.s won't get the covid vaccine because they don't know that it's free and they think that they need health insurance for it. So like it is another like means of excluding the poor, the racialized, the like disabled from public space. So on that aspect, like I find it very concerning, especially that like a lot of left or liberal or whatever are kind of like coming out being like, oh no, like it'll be fine because the right is saying that it's bad. Whereas like, no, like, it's going to be bad, but it's going to be bad for different reasons than what the right says or reasons that the right doesn't care about. No, I, I agree with you completely on all those points that you raised, especially like with the racialized uh, disparities that already exist, uh, both in Canada and the United States for initiating a program like this. Racial disparities in terms of vaccine uptake and where vaccines are available and stuff like this. The, the issue that I have is, like, we already implement programs like this, and I think for good reason, in terms of allowing children to have access to school. And there are exemptions. So when you talk about, like, immune, uh, people who have compromised immune systems or people who uh, suffer allergies from vaccines and therefore can't get vaccines, you could get an exemption. So, for example, for some of the shots that are required for you to enter our public school system, you can get exempted. You can even get religious exemptions to a certain extent. It exists. And I think for good reason, because you don't want like, I don't know, measles spreading through the public school system and like wiping out a lot of our kids. Right. (laughs) So that's like, I understand like from the public health point of view that it's a difficulty like balancing act, right? Because you don't want, or you don't want racialized groups to be discriminated against in terms of these vaccine passports. But you also don't want a disease to spread, which is disproportionately ravaging those communities as well, right? So it's like, it's hard to find that balancing act, and I don't know what the perfect balance is. Yeah, like, I think there would be one, it would be one thing to, if it were, like, going to school or, like, university maybe, but, like, if you you were mentioning, for example, like, sports things, like... If you have to carry around, you know, your little 
thing that says like I got vaccinated when like so far as I know that it's not like they're giving them out you know when you're getting vaccinated even it's kind of just like it is another barrier for entry and it is another like barrier for existing in public that is already like disproportionately affecting racialized people and disabled people and so on so adding that extra layer when you know it's not going to be a like universally applicable thing when it is going to be like so far as we know it's not being you know put out by a government or anything like that even so if it's just private sector forces deciding whether or not they can ask for vaccine passports depending on the mood or perhaps the type of person trying to enter a public space then like that is a real danger like that is something that will lead to harm yeah and i will say we're just speculating here on outcomes as well because as far as i'm aware none of these things have been implemented at all yet the only thing is maybe i think the travel outside of the country and that is actually something that already exists before this as well in terms of other vaccines that are available. That being said, the reason why Ezra wants to talk about this is obviously to fearmonger about uh, the coming loss of liberties. And he doesn't tr- just uh, not trust vaccines, but also thinks that masks are just a symbol. And throughout this episode, he's like iterating these points to sort of like further erode your trust in what the medical authorities are, are trying to tell you including he wants to discuss the confusion over blood clots and the age range of who should get the vaccine for the AstraZeneca shot. And I think it's worth pausing here to have a brief a brief digression about the AstraZeneca shot because a lot of people, I think, are rightfully confused about what's going on here. The information has been sort of, are sort of slowly trickling in and I've been trying to keep up with the literature. As far as I could tell, and again, this, I'm I'm just a person who does a podcast, so please uh, go out and research this yourself. But I want to just try to like dive into the what I understand about the issue. With all that uh, caveating aside, this is what I think is going on here. There was some people who went after receiving the shot two weeks after receiving the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine had these blood clots. Now in terms of like blood clots of the general population versus those who got vaccinated and not vaccinated, the vaccine group doesn't have a higher incidence of blood clots. So you would look at that information and think, well, if you're just as likely to get a blood clot if you're not vaccinated versus vaccinated, there probably is no uh, evidence that the vaccine is causing this thing. However, it's not just the fact that these blood clots are occurring. What they noticed was that there's certain rare forms of blood clots that are occurring in these individuals who get the vaccine. And they're rare because it's affecting people who are younger, which usually that's not the case for blood clots generally. And they're happening in areas like the brain and the stomach, which are rare places to get blood clots. So they're hypersensitive to this idea that it seems like these blood clots are forming in places that are weird. That's a rare group of people who are getting these blood clots. So they're concerned. Now, the concern doesn't mean that there's an actual causal relationship between the vaccine and these blood clots. It could be that people have these blood clots in the general population as well, but they're harder to detect because we're not looking for them, and that because of the vaccine, people are hypervigilant and therefore noticing these things. So, and the reason why it can be that confusing is because the numbers here are so low. So I think in the UK, where the AstraZeneca vaccine has been more available, 
19 people out of 20 million people died from these blood clots. Oh my god. Is the oh my god like that's bad or is it like oh my god is it like that's so low? <laughs> literal, literal one in a million chance. Yeah, it's a literal one in a million chance. And the other thing on top of that is like if you get COVID, it is you're way more likely to die from COVID than you are to die from a blood clot from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So this is why you're seeing these age range discrepancies. So in Canada, I think it, they put it at 55 plus. The AstraZeneca vaccine is available for anyone 55 plus. And that makes sense because if the blood clots are happening in younger people, just give the vaccine to the, uh, the people who are not dying from this very, very rare blood condition that we don't fully understand yet. In the UK, they've set the threshold at 30 the, the other thing that they're saying in the UK, if you got the first AstraZeneca shot and you haven't had a blood clot yet, no one after the second shot has had a, the blood clot thing happen. So if you got your first AstraZeneca shot, get your second AstraZeneca shot, you're going to be fine. Interesting. They, they still recommend, like if you're going to get a shot, I mean, this I thought about this myself, and if the AstraZeneca shot was available, I would still take it for the same <laughs> reason that you just laughed, which is like a one in a million chance of a blood clot when, if, if it is even causally related to the vaccine. Because the other thing is, it could be that these people had COVID as well, but didn't know that they had COVID, and that somehow is what's causing these blood clots. You know, science is one of these things. We're, we're trying, we're doing this stuff on the ground. We're trying to figure it out. But it's like, this is this is clearly evidence that they're taking in the data from the real world and updating the science based on the incoming data and being very precautionary with the data that's coming in in their decision to, to roll out these vaccines or not, which contradicts their narrative that the government is just like forcing these vaccines on us, not making sure that they're safe, that they're being very... Uh, <laughs> aggressive with promoting these vaccines even though it's an experimental treatment and all this when it's like no i think i think what's happening with the astrazeneca vaccine is proof that they're being safe mm -hmm. so i hope i hope that cleared some of it up it's it's going to be again confusing but if you're worried about your parents getting the astrazeneca astrazeneca vaccine the evidence shows that they're likely going to be safe. And again, I reiterate, and even all the doctors that I read that like were worried about the blood clots, all of them said they're more worried about COVID. So we move from AstraZeneca to Moderna and Pfizer. So now he, he fear-mongered about AstraZeneca. Now we're going to move on to the other vaccines that he wants to fear-monger about. And these are those new mRNA vaccines. And so the first thing he wants to say is that these vaccines are gene therapy. They said to take AstraZeneca. Now they say that's too dangerous to do. They, they say to take Moderna and Pfizer. Those are those mRNA vaccines that actually interact with your body's genes. That's not generally called gene therapy. But, you know, uh, sometimes it is called gene therapy. Maybe it's completely safe. Look, I, I don't know. Sadly, someone in real life told me these are gene therapy too. So this is a conspiracy theory that is spreading throughout the world. Oh, God. <laughs> and it is very concerning. So we've explained this before on the show, but the mRNA vaccine synthesizes this mRNA. It is injected into you and is then read by your cell. So, you know, the cell takes it in and based on reading the synthetic mRNA produces a protein. The protein is very similar to the protein uh, of the COVID-19 virus. 
but it isn't as it, it's not harmful right so the idea is the cell produces this protein and then your immune system sees the protein and then can build an immunity so this is very similar to vac like any other vaccine that you would get which is like if you're injecting in an attenuated virus or a weakened virus that's not going to kill you the cell reads it builds up its defenses and then when you get the actual thing you're protected against it in fact the mrna doesn't even reach the dna of your cell so the the point of gene therapy it's it's tools that change your uh, genes in specific ways and most of these therapies are being designed to fight things like cancer by inserting specific genes to either prevent cancer or fight the cancers that you have nothing about these vaccines impact your genes whatsoever they don't come in contact with your genes they don't manipulate your genes it's just a different means of doing the exact same thing that regular vaccines do like it's just making your cells recognize that this virus is not good and develop ways to fight it before you get infected the reason what you know the reason why they want to use gene therapy is because gene therapy uh puts in people's heads this idea of either fear of genetic, genetically modified foods or fear of like designer babies and manipulating the genes. And when it's like, none of that is happening. <laughs> Actually, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine are both going to be like the amazing Spider-Man one with the giant lizard people. Hey, look, if the vaccines can make us super beings, then like, let's go. <laughs> He then says we need to wait for more testing. Now, this is a very common anti-vaccine trope, which is that you'll never have enough testing. But how long do you have to wait before you know something is safe? The thing with vaccines is at least we kind of understand the basics of how they work, and you can kind of predict whether or not they would have long-term consequences. And they're pretty good at detecting those, which is why, for example, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, we're noticing the blood clot thing now and not like 10, 15, 20 years later, because usually if something's going to happen because of the vaccine, it's going to happen immediately. Almost no other vaccine has long-term consequences. They just don't. And part of that is the mechanism for how this thing, how vaccines work. So there's no reason at all to suspect there's going to be any long-term consequences from this vaccine. I mean, that's the other part that they don't say when they're saying this shit, is what's the long-term consequences of being infected by a virus that we don't know anything about, compared to a vaccine where we at least know something about the technology? It's really just, like, fear-mongery bullshit. Like, it's nothing based in any aspect of reality beyond like fear and disgust because you can never have enough testing i mean that's the thing you can always always ask for more testing like i guess the only time you can be sure maybe is like after like several generations of humans or something <laughs> where it's like enough people live to 80 after getting this vaccine that we that we can know now that it's like safe but then now several generations out how many people have we killed trying to get this vaccine? It, like, renders vaccines useless at that point. I don't know. I think we have that with, like, the smallpox vaccine, where we've got a few generations behind us now. We haven't even had to, like, use a smallpox vaccine because we got rid of it. 
I mean, the funny thing, <laughs> a lot of these people will promote, like, polio. They're like, oh, well, yeah, the polio vaccine was, oh, that, that was great. But it's like, it's not like they had years of testing for that either. In fact, they were, like, implementing it, like, almost immediately after designing it as well, back in the 50s. And yet everyone seems to be cool with that. It was cool then because now it's been over, like, 70 years since it was developed. But because these are new, that's, like, where the scariness comes in. And going on uh, their scary impulse, this is like the best argument Ezra made on the show was, uh, well, Bill Gates likes the vaccines. It's a new technology that works on your body. It's the kind of thing I'd like to wait a bit just to have it tested a bit more before we inject healthy people with it. I mean, what do I know, though? I mean, Bill Gates says it's just fine. I don't know. Once I get vaccinated and like... If that makes me change my um, computer operating systems from Linux to Windows, I think we know something's up. I, well, you know what? I hope when we get the vaccine, it plays like the Microsoft load sound. Just like Google Glass, but like Windows 97 just like opens in your eyes. <laughs> You get the blue screen of death. <laughs> oh my god. That's the blood clots. That as it goes... But I'm deeply worried about a society that allows total surveillance and obedience at all times. Permission to do everything. You have to ask for permission in advance or you can't do it anymore. Don't we live in a society where you have to get a driver's license or other things? Or, I don't know, you have to ask for permission to do a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know what sort of society he's imagining. Imagine a society where there are societal norms and yeah. <laughs> general conventions for how you do things. He then says something that is just really ignorant in terms of saying it right now. You know, you don't need to show ID to vote either in Canada or the United States. You know that? He goes on to talk about Ron DeSantis saying, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he won't have vaccine passports in Florida. As if that's a good sign that he's this like beautiful libertarian person, Ron DeSantis. Even though in Florida, you need photo ID to vote. So <laughs> he just states it right there that you don't need ID to vote in Canada or the U.S. And then he goes on to praise a governor who lives in a state that requires photo ID to vote. Here's America's best governor. This is a story. In the New York Post. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Governor DeSantis vows to ban vaccine passports in Florida. I like this guy. And saying all this while the Georgia voter suppression bill is going through and the Texas voter suppression bill, and I think there's other voter suppression bills, but those are the two that come to mind. That's happening right now and is making mainstream news. And Ezra just comes right out and says, you don't need ID to vote in the U.S. You just say your name and they're like, ah, yep, we know you. <laughs> So that was the first day. That was March 30th. We're on to March 31st. And now he wants to, like, I guess, do the edge case around, like, tracking and microchipping. Now, he's not going to say that these things are in the vaccines. But you could tell he's, like, sort of fear-mongering about all this stuff. And it does connect sort of back to the vaccine passport. He wants to start by talking about this thing called Amazon Palm. There's certain stores in the United States where they scan your palm and that's how you like pay through checkout because like most people's hands are unique to them and Ezra's like this is like a big tech's evil plan 
to uh, <laughs> to take over the world because now they're going to be tracking you everywhere. And he goes, why, why plant a chip on you if you are the chip? But nothing is creepier than that Amazon Palm project, is there? It's like the worst conspiracy theories come true. People have talked about microchips being implanted in people. It's an old fear, but it's really outdated, isn't it? Why plant a chip on you if you are the chip? Because it's scanning your palm, get it? You, you become the chip. It's just reading, reading your, your hand prints or something. My concern with it is that it'll stop people from shoplifting, and that sucks. Why would it stop people from shoplifting? Um, I mean, the true Amazon palm is the palm that just takes the goods off the shelf and leaves. <laughs> yeah, no, so the way that the Amazon stores work is like it literally tracks your movements while you're in the store and tracks what you pick up and what you put down. So you don't need to like scan things on your way out. It's literally like you pick things up off the shelf, put them in your pockets or your bag or whatever, and then you scan your handprint as you leave, and then it charges your account for whatever you brought out. So it's not like it is very much like... You can pocket things and leave, but you're still getting charged for them now. Yeah, I guess the, the thing there is that has less to do with the act of actually scanning your hand. It probably has more to do with the fact that you're carrying a cell phone that's tracking your, your movements. Which is the thing with all of this is like every, all these the people on the right that fearmonger about this stuff. We all carry cell phones in our pockets. I, I had like even people who are worried about like somehow them implanting microchips and the vaccines and they're injecting it into you and i was like why would someone like bill gates who is always at the uh behest of this conspiracy theory why would someone like bill gates implant microchips into everyone when we all just willingly carry cell phones in our pockets with microchips in it yeah and that actively communicate with like cell phone towers and wi-fi routers and everything every time that you go anywhere and that the police can already use to like track people down and have done so like they already gotcha now ezra has his own sort of like side conspiracy theory about government tracking which is now with these uh churches refusing to close he saw one image where the police or the rcmp were carrying in this like bag and somebody told him but the other day when we were at that church we saw some guy from Alberta Health Services, coming to the church with a huge backpack on. What, was he going camping? It was really conspicuous, really weird. What was in the backpack? Well, an ex-cop friend of mine said he thought it was this, an electronic spying device that can get the information from every cell phone in the building. But it's like, I don't think the device needs to be that big to read people's cell phones. The devices weren't that big during the fucking Cold War. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I it's like again, he's just like fear mongering based on some anecdote, but it's like it's also just silly on its face. But of course, it's like watch out, they're all listening to you, and they're listening to religious believers. I mean, we should specify Christians because they are listening to Muslims. Fair. Now we get to the, the where he's going with this, which is that the vaccine passports in Canada will be digital, and it'll be run by IBM. And pass through servers that are in China. New York has introduced a vaccine passport that is like a digital ID card. And they're working with IBM on it. So IBM is running it. Where will the information pass through? A lot of servers. A lot of the computing cloud. Is in China. And didn't you know that the Nazis used IBM? 
Do we have to trust IBM? I mean, really? In the lead up to the Second World War, I don't know if you know this, but IBM bid for contracts in Nazi Germany using its information systems at the time. Obviously, this was before our modern computers, but IBM, International Business Machines, was an expert in counting and systems. They did the census for Hitler. They were on Hitler's side. They even got a medal from him. Now that was 80 years ago, but look at this, IBM is at it again. He also says, and this this is where it gets like really creepy to me. So there's this video, and I, and I haven't spent too much time on it because it's been so stupid, but there's been this one video where one of the members of Doug Ford's public health team was doing a press conference and was caught on a hot mic saying, I don't know why I bring all these papers. I never look at them. Oh, you give me numbers. I do. I go, oh, oh, oh. Did you really say that? <laughs> I just say whatever they write down for me. <laughs> That's why That was taken by a lot of people, including Ezra, who plays it on his show almost every week. And there's like three clips that he plays all the time. He plays the Justin Trudeau uh, loves China's basic dictatorship. He plays that clip all the time. There's this other clip where they say that the vax are the uh, PCR tests are only useful 50 or give false positives 50% of the time, which was taken out of context. And then he plays this clip of this uh, public health official saying, I just read what they give me. And these, those three clips he plays almost every single week on the show. And so I rarely bring them up and talk about them because there's no point in going over it, but it's important here. So he highlights this video. What really happened was this person was saying that like, she has the data, she has the evidence, she knows what's going on, but she has a team that writes her public briefings for her. So there's no point in having all the like data that she printed off when she's just gonna read what they give her anyways. Ezra wants to spin it as if like this was given to her by some sort of shadowy cabal. So Doug Ford does what the public health bureaucrats say and they do what they're told by someone else who says things. Who? Who? I'm sure whoever is behind the curtain is our friend and only wants the best for us. This like vaguely seems like the, the Jewish conspiracy theories of like the shadowy cabal of, of uh, the, you know, in the protocols of the elders of Zion who are like pulling the strings and manipulating the world in some certain way. When it's really just like, yeah, she has a staff that writes things for her. No, it's got to be the globalists. It's got to be... Um... Bill Gates and Davos. I'm trying to think of who else they might blame. George Soros. It, it could be him. Well, that's the thing. It's like they're they're leaning heavily on very anti-Semitic tropes, which is not great. No. He then ends uh, this day by going, "You will need a vaccine passport to open a bank account, fly in a plane, go into a store, or get a job." <laughs> and uh, so far, I've not seen any evidence that suggests that's the case. And so uh, we'll check in in a few years and see if uh, Ezra is proven right on that one. We now move to April 1st. Now this is the, uh, I guess, the most fear-mongery of fear-monger episodes about the vaccine. It is really terrible. And it's almost like ironic that it happens on April 1st. I wanted him at the end of this segment to go, psych, it was just a joke, but I don't think he's joking. He starts off by saying that Pfizer is monstrously large. Hello, my rebels. Today, I uh, take you through a press release from a very excited little company you might have heard of called Pfizer. They're actually not a little company at all. They're monstrously large, and they have big plans for your children 
children as young as six months old. And I don't think he's wrong. I'm just really annoyed by the fact that, like, Ezra is a pro-corporate person. Like, what does the largeness of Pfizer matter when Ezra takes money from huge fucking oil companies? Or has taken it from the past. I don't know that he still does. Because it's a woke commie socialists corporation. Honestly, it's just because they produce vaccines right now and vaccines are the enemy. That That's that's all that's going on here. I don't think Pfizer... Has Pfizer like made statements about Black Lives Matter or anything else that usually gets these people angry? I have genuinely no idea. I can look it up though. But either way, Ezra doesn't mention that as the reason. It's just Pfizer is monstrously large. And he also says that... You know the coronavirus doesn't affect children, right? I mean, it's as close to zero as possible. This is not true at all. But you could tell the angle that Ezra's going to go for this episode. He cares about the fact, or he wants to fearmonger about the fact that kids are going to get vaccinated. Now, he says they're not affected by COVID. This is not entirely true. Some children have died of COVID. And in fact, Ezra admits this. They claim that six people out of the 22,655 deaths were under age 20. Now, I've seen some reports about those six unfortunate kids, and there's some doubt in my mind as to whether you can accurately ascribe their deaths to the virus. Some of those kids had terrible underlying pre-existing conditions. They were very sick to begin with. But having a pre-existing condition doesn't mean that you're just going to die. It just means you're more susceptible to a virus that could kill you. So it's like, I don't even know what the point is of like saying something like that. Like this is this is another reason why you want people to get vaccinated. So you have enough herd immunity so that people who have immunocompromised uh, systems or people who have pre-existing conditions that can die from a virus like COVID, that they don't get infected. Those are the people we want to protect by vaccinating. Yet he's using them to fearmonger that or, or like to downplay the idea that COVID is this bad of a thing. It kills kids. And not only does it kill kids, it could potentially harm kids who don't have pre-existing conditions that survive from having it, that then will have like lung issues for a long period of time. Quick update, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson made Black Lives Matter adjacent statements, most of which sucked because they're like huge corporations as to be expected. However, didn't see anything about Moderna. <laughs> Moderna, the anti-woke vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Black Lives Matter, Ezra then says, I hate that the police are building a generation of children who disrespect and distrust the police, though. But that's the fault of the police for doing foolish political errands, no common sense, instead of actually protecting people and fighting crime. Weren't we talking about kids? Why are we talking about the police? Well, he's going to go, well, guess who benefits from the lockdowns? I'm... Not happy about anyone getting it, but a year into it, why are we shutting down young people and places for young people? In whose possible interest is that? Who benefits? Cui bono, as they say in Latin. Who, who wins here? Not parents, not the kids. Well, think, think, think. If we terrify and terrorize kids, but then someone says, I have an idea. I can stop the terror for a hundred bucks a kid. Well, maybe now we know who benefits from this. And so the vaccine companies 
are the ones promoting the lockdowns. So it makes people want the vaccines, you see, because they want a profit off of that vaccine money. Sure. That checks out. So Pfizer ran a trial of a a vaccine to give to kids. And so they actually tested this vaccine on kids. And Ezra says... But I'm just blown away by the fact that they're testing this emergency medicine for a disease that is an old person's disease. They're, They're testing it on children 12 to 15 years old. And they have started testing children of tender years as young as six months old. What kind of parent tests a gene therapy drug, that's how it's described in the science, a gene therapy drug on a healthy baby, six months old baby. And here's where there's what what I would call a catch 22, which is that, oh my God, you're experimenting on children? You can't give children this experimental vaccine. Well, if you can't test the experimental vaccine on kids, you can't ever have a vaccine to give to kids. So therefore, you can never vaccinate kids, right? <laughs> I can't wait for the next like right-wing scare about like kids being gay or trans and it being like, "Oh, the vaccine made them made them this way. Pfizer did this." Well, it's like Alex Jones like Yeah, like the like the gay frogs. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the freaking frogs gay. Do you understand that? Turn the freaking frogs gay. Crap. It's this fear of like experimentation. I mean, like, again, like you have that's why he wants to use the word gene therapy here, because it like it brings up this like fear of just like, whoa, this is this huge thing that's going to mess with children's genes and it's going to harm them. And it's like there's no evidence that this thing is harmful. None whatsoever. And it's good that they're doing these tests, because then if you if you make sure that kids get vaccinated and it lowers the incident to which they can spread this uh, virus to others, you lower the rate of transmission of this virus and you can open up schools. You could do all that because right now we have schools open and the virus is spreading like crazy and it goes kids have to come home and they're giving it to their parents, etc., etc. So you want a child uh, vaccine. Pfizer then mentions that they're trying to get this vaccine out before the new school year starts, which I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) Please do that, yeah. We plan to submit these data to FDA as a proposed amendment to our emergency use authorization in the coming weeks and to other regulators around the world with the hope of starting to vaccinate this age group before the start of the next school year, unquote. There you go. They're in a real rush, aren't they? Wow, they want to vaccinate your children before the next school year. That's just a few months away. They've got a lot of money to make, people. Hurry up and approve this FDA. You could almost hear him salivate. You can almost hear the ka-ching in his mind. But it's like, if, if Pfizer is going to get this vaccine out anyways, why rush it to get the school year? Why not just like wait till you're sure that it works so that you prevent lawsuits in the future or something? right? Like Rushing it doesn't make sense to me. The only reason you would rush it is because you realize that there's a public concern here to a certain extent. And maybe that makes the company look good and that'll like fix profits. But I can't see of like a nefarious reason for wanting them to like rush it forward like that in this instance. And the thing is, it's not like it's rushing to make the vaccine. The vaccine is already made. It's rushing for production purposes. It's rushing to like make more of the already existing vaccine so that it can be given to more people. It's not like, oh, we're gonna, we're making a new vaccine just for the kids or whatever. Like, But this, this is in terms of the trial too. So I'm guessing as they want to do at, 
as fast a tur turnover of a legitimate trial that you can do such that this vaccine is ready to roll out before the school year. And so maybe the reason why they want to signal this in their promotional paper is so that they can inform governments that, hey, ramp up production so that when these trials succeed, you have the vaccine ready to go. Ezra then doubts the results of this vaccine trial because it's measuring cases. Uh, but, but what's a case of, of COVID-19? I take it no one died in this study. Did anyone even get sick? Or was it just a case? What's a case? Is a case a false positive like this? If you test somebody today, uh, you only know if they're infected today. And in fact, if you're testing in a population that doesn't have very much COVID, you'll get false positives almost half the time. When it's like, no, the science is in, PCR tests rarely give false positives. They give false negatives sometimes, but that's usually because if you take it earlier, the virus hasn't built up enough in your system so that it tells you you don't have it when you do. But usually if you have the virus, it almost definitely picks it up. So he's just bullshitting again. Well, and even then, if, it, if they were to measure death, then he has also like published things doubting like the rate of death with covid so it's just kind of like it's another like oh you got to do this and if they did that then ezra would be like oh but this is a lie this is fake so you know it's just like why bother listening to their bullshit throughout all of these days too he always says people die with covid rather than from covid and he specifies that he's doing that because obviously if you say that they died from COVID, then you're saying COVID has this causal relationship where he claims that people die, but they had COVID in their system. And then they're just attributing the death to COVID, which isn't how it works, right? It's like usually there'll be like, they'll die of asphyxiation from like the phlegm in their lungs, which is clearly the result of COVID. Even though, like, so it's like, yes, they died with COVID, but also from COVID. But he wants to distinguish that there's this group of people that died with COVID. Uh, and he wants to say that that makes up a majority of the deaths. So therefore, COVID isn't that bad. The Pfizer trial then says that the kids will be monitored for two years to make sure that uh, the kids are safe. All participants in the trial will continue to be monitored for long-term protection and safety for an additional two years after their second dose. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you say you want to get this into kids' arms as soon as possible, before the next school year, but, but you, just, you just said you need to keep looking at these kids for at least two more years before you know that they're safe because you just injected them with it and it might have a long-term effect. You need two more years before you're sure, but you want to start giving this vaccine to my kids as quickly as possible? And it's like, of course they're going to monitor it. Th that's just what they all have to do for all vaccines. That's the norm, you know? That's how safe trials yeah. work, Ezra. <laughs> He's also mad that this hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. Pfizer and BioNTech plan to submit the data for scientific peer review for potential publication. You, know, you, you haven't done that yet? So you, you haven't had your work peer-reviewed yet? You haven't had other people check your work yet? I mean, other than Pfizer business executives who are pretty excited that they can add a new kids Happy Meal product line. That would be a, an interesting complaint if the paper here was saying that this has been confirmed and peer reviewed. This promotional paper is not for the scientific community. It's for 
governments and about like all the processes involved like yes it needs to be peer-reviewed still to show that this vaccine is safe for kids and when it is peer-reviewed that's great but of course like this paper alone that was released by pfizer is not going to be the thing that gets the vaccine used so i don't know what he why he needs to bring that up isn't it just like pre-trials so they're not even done the trials so they're not even done like an actual like paper that would be pre peer-reviewed then like no so I think the trials are done, so this is in between peer review. So they're just saying the data looks good. They, they did the same thing with the Moderna vaccine before it got peer reviewed, and I think that was just to like uh, improve public perception, but also get the government ready to like ramp up production. Okay. So it seems like the trials are done, and they're suggesting that the results look good, and it's just a matter of it now being peer reviewed. Mm. So once it's peer reviewed and it gets that stamp, then if the government was already ramping up, then they should be ready to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ezra then reads the side effects. And Ezra is shocked by a lot of these, (laughs) even if they are standard for vaccines generally, right? He's just shocked that there's side effects at all. So they warn about allergies and recommend shots be taken in facilities with like allergen response. Do not administer Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine to individuals with known history of a severe allergic reaction, e.g. anaphylaxis, to any component of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Appropriate medical treatment used to manage immediate allergic reactions must be immediately available in the event an acute anaphylactic reaction occurs following administration of the vaccine. So don't give this to anyone who has allergic reactions. And if you give it to anyone, have emergency allergy responses nearby, guys, okay? Yes. Anyone who's a child, you might not know what they're allergic to yet. And therefore, you want to uh, make sure they stay at the doctor's office for like 15, 30 minutes or something like that, just to make sure you don't have an uh, allergic response. And so if you're at the doctor's office, they have the equipment there to deal with an allergic response, and nothing bad happens to you if that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) But he wants to, oh my God, you have to do it at the doctor's office because you could die from an allergic response. Oh my God. It's like, yeah, that's the same with every other vaccine. Oh no, they're taking precautionary measures. They should just give you the shot and throw you out into the street. Say, go, run, (laughs) don't look back. He then covers immunosuppressed people, uh, saying they should not take the vaccine, and he fearmongers about that. Immunocompromised persons, including individuals receiving immunosuppressant therapy, may have a diminished immune response to the the vaccine. The vaccine may not protect all vaccine recipients. Okay. Hey, but kids, it's really great. Like a Happy Meal, you can even get a toy with it. And it's like, yes, okay, not everyone is protected by a vaccine. That's why it says it's 90% effective and not 100% effective. That 10% of people, sometimes the vaccine just doesn't work. Whether that's because there was something with the dose that you received, or there's something about you that it just didn't work on your immune system. And in that case, that's the reason why you need a lot of people vaccinated so that it not only protects immunosuppressed people who can't get vaccinated or people with allergens who can't get vaccinated, it protects people who received the vaccine, but it just for whatever fluke did not work. Like that's that's the same with all other vaccinations as well. Again, these are things that are not unique to this uh, vaccination. Then he goes through the list. This is the crazy part. In clinical studies, adverse reactions in participants 16 years of age and older included pain at the injection site, 84%, fatigue, 63%, headache, 55%, 
Muscle pain, 38%. Chills, 32%. Joint pain, 24%. Fever, 14%. Injection site swelling, 10.5%. Injection site redness, 9.5%. Nausea, malaise, and lymphadenopathy. Can you imagine voluntarily giving this to your healthy child? None of these are life-threatening. All of them are temporary, and they all go away. And again, they happen with every fucking vaccine. <laughs> so it's like all this shit that Ezra's trying to fear-monger. He's like, I can't believe you're giving these to your kids. When it's like, this is what happens with every vaccine that we currently give to our kids. And they're fine. They're fine, Ezra. Half of these things are anytime you have something that, like, breaks your skin or goes into like you know <laughs> blood vessels or muscle like have you had a blood test taken like pin at injection site a little bit of fatigue maybe some muscle pain or like you know an iv like half of these apply to that as well like it's just oh no something entered my skin so my skin isn't happy pfizer then mentions that other things may become apparent after widespread use Additional adverse reactions, some of which may be serious, may become apparent with more widespread use of the Pfizer vaccine. You don't say. So we're actually part of the experiment, aren't we? It's like, yeah, always. That's why they monitor things. Pfizer then warns against pregnant women taking the vaccine for lack of testing. And Ezra says, Available data on the vaccine administered to pregnant women are insufficient to inform vaccine-associated risks in pregnancy. Imagine being so desperate for cash that you would let them test it on you when you had a baby in your womb. Imagine how desperate a woman must be to take cash from Pfizer to do that to her, her baby. Do they pay you? For some of these vaccine tests, yes. It would be like any trial. So, like, have you ever done, like, a psych trial at like a university no yeah they usually pay you a stipend for participating in the trial i don't know that that's the case with vaccines but it is with other trials for sure that makes sense i guess but still i mean like how more fear-mongery do you have to get than that which i guess this is appealing to like the pro-life people too with like your precious your precious baby in the womb that needs to be protected oh my god are you gonna harm them then ezra says something which i can't fact check and i don't know how to fact check <laughs> But he just goes, there have been more adverse reactions in the past year to vaccines than the past decade combined. Huh? What is an adverse reaction? Because like some of the other stuff that he listed there, like the redness of the arm, all that stuff. Those are adverse reactions, too. Does he mean like like really terrible, severe adverse reactions or more of these mild adverse reactions? That and it's like there has been more vaccines given in the past decade than there ever were recently, even with the covid vaccines. You know, you're thinking flu shots. You're thinking all the uh, polio, uh, <laughs> diphtheria, all, like all the other vaccines combined that have been, been given out to kids in the past uh, 10 years. There's no way that this makes sense. He then complains that you're going to have no sports, no school, etc. without the vaccines. And again, I want to reiterate that we currently do that already. Great news, guys. The vaccine is now ready for your kids. And if you don't sign up your kids for these vaccines, no school, no sports, no summer camp, no, no shopping, no, no restaurants, no travel, no visiting other kids, 
This is absolutely for your health, you see. Absolutely doesn't have anything to do with enriching and empowering the public health industrial complex. No. Wait, you're worried about your kids? You don't want this vaccine? What are you, some, some sort of monster? Uh... <laughs> and that is the end of April 1st. My God. And we're not done yet. We have April fucking 2nd. <laughs> this dude sucks so much. I hate him. Why? Why are we doing this show? Does it not feel like he got demonetized and was just like, fuck it. <laughs> we're just, we're, we're going all out there. We're letting our anti-vaccine freak fly. Yeah. He took off his mask saying masks don't work. And... <laughs> So not only is he on the anti-vaccine wagon, he gets his uh, buddy John Carpe on. So John Carpe is with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. He's the one who's fighting all these fight the fine stuff and a bunch of other shit. I think he was the lawyer as well for the pastor in Edmonton. Ton of fun. And they're talking about the cost constitutionality of vaccine passports. Ezra again brings up IBM and their connections with Hitler. And then Carpe admits he received his polio vaccine. I, I am not an anti-vaxxer. I, I had all four of my kids were vaccinated as babies and, and at other times. And I'm glad I got the polio vaccine when I was a baby. So I, this is not an anti-vax thing. But when you have a government coercion to inject people with something that is inherently unsafe. A blanket statement like that doesn't really make any sense. How is something inherently unsafe? Like, even cyanide is not inherently unsafe because you can still consume some of it in small doses. I mean, there's uh, cyanide that is found in a lot of fruit you consume, but it's at such a low level that it's not going to harm you. Like, <laughs> I, like, I don't even know what that means. Inherently unsafe. Um, it's a big needle. Compared to the polio vaccine? Like, none of this makes any sense. And here's the problem. Um, you don't know if a vaccine is safe until it, it can take two years, five years, 10, 15 years, you have to see the long-term effects. We won't know until 2235 if the COVID vaccine is safe. We're all dead by COVID, and then they're like, if only we lasted another two years and we could have told the vaccines were safe. <laughs> we almost made it, guys. He then mentions that drugs uh, where effects weren't noticed until years later occurred, and so therefore we need to have the same period of time between the vaccines because there could be lawsuits uh, down the road if you just rush these things. I mean, but also there are vaccines not like, you know, cancer drugs or like, you know, fuck up your bones or your like physical health. It's just kind of like something that makes your cells be like, ah, we don't like this thing. So responding to this, Ezra does bring up AstraZeneca and uses the government waffling about its uh, effects as evidence that science is confused on the issue. But as I said, it's like, it's not that science is confused. It's they're processing information as it's coming in. Carpe then argues that the, uh, the annual flu leaves 99.98% of Canadians alive each year. So uh, every year, the annual flu uh, takes 0. 0.0002 of Canada's population. COVID, uh, in slight contrast, leaves alive 99.96% of the Canadian population. So COVID is, is taking 0. 0.0004 
of Canada's population. So you could truthfully say that that uh, COVID is twice as deadly as the annual flu. That might be true. Uh, but when you really look at it, you're looking at a survival rate of um, 99.96% versus 99.98%. Mm -hmm. This is the virus that we're dealing with, and it does not warrant any measures that are destroying our economy and destroying society. I don't know. How much death is too much? Like, how many more deaths than the flu is it now something we should be concerned about? When I, when Personally, I'm like, maybe we should be more concerned with the flu. <laughs> I think we can be concerned with many things and all excess deaths. Brave of me, I know, but that is my personal stance, is that people shouldn't die. How brave. How brave of you, Vienna. Thank you. Our original plan for the proactive segment was to talk about the NDP convention and the Palestine re resolution specifically. As we are recording this episode, um, today is the day that today is the second day of convention, and is also the day that the Palestine resolution is being voted on. Yeah, so I figured we could maybe just like talk about the convention and like NDP stuff a little bit instead of going through the convention stuff because chances are we won't really be able to affect much of, about it at this point in time uh, <laughs> because we are a few days late in recording. Because, yeah, like, there are a number of interesting resolutions that are going on, the Palestine Resolution Chief among them, uh, which is to call for the NDP to call for an end to Canada's support of illegal set settlements and suspending the flow of weapons to and from Israel until... Palestinians are free in whichever way Palestinian civil society determines that to be. Uh, it doesn't, it notably doesn't call for like a one state or a two state solution. It doesn't call for like, you know, a specific end goal resolution because at the end of the day, Canada and the NDP should not be the ones determining that. Yes. Um, and so the Palestine resolution was like, set up by a number of Palestinian and Jewish activists within the NDP to try to call for the NDP to actually, you know, make any sort of noticeable stand on Palestinian human rights, especially considering that, like, no other party really publicly does that. Um, the Greens have a, like, BDS light stance officially, but considering that the new party leader is a Zionist, it's very unlikely that that will actually lead to anything because she has like quite close relations with like the pro-Israeli movement and lobby in Canada. And a history in support of imperialism generally, especially when it comes to Bolivia and other stuff like that. So. Yeah, she's <laughs> very disappointed that she got the leadership. But yeah, so convention is happening as we speak over the weekend and i'm i'm normally a part of that stuff i it was going to be too hard for me to uh do it this week but i i mean this the this issue particularly is something i've been fighting within the ndp for a while now and uh it it made it to the second place in terms of that committee's like list of resolutions to go through which means if there's no shenanigans that take place which often happen it's likely going to be discussed on the floor and receive a vote which is really good. 
they've often done in the past uh, tried to screw with things to take it off the list and make it not uh, come to a floor vote. I had to fight with this in provincial council, which took fucking forever to get <laughs> get the thing to actually come to a floor vote. We had to learn all kinds of Roberts rules shenanigans to fight these people, and uh, we succeeded. It, it, it ended up losing the vote for a provincial council, mainly because I think by the time it got to the floor, it was uh, a lot of people were confused. And we spent all of our time trying to get it to the floor that we didn't have enough time like lobbying the fl- like people to vote for it. So the, the abstains would have pushed us over the edge if we had the time. So it's not like this thing failed dramatically. And so my hope is that this, this does end up having a floor vote at the very least, and I hope that it passes. And uh, yeah, I want to shout out Sam Hirsch, who's someone that I've worked with, uh, including Mo, who we've had on the podcast. I've worked with him on this issue as well. And all the other Palestinian and Jewish activists that I've worked with within the party to try to get this stuff done. And it's something that like there is, I think that a lot of people get mad at the NDP for failing to live up to its kind of like lefty ideals. And I just want to say like, I don't think... I don't think the end goal is to just give up on the party. I think there are grassroots movements within the party that are fighting hard for this stuff. And like anything, it's difficult because you have donor classes and internal bureaucracies that are hard to fight. But they're not insurmountable. And we need more lefties in there to raise some hell, you know? Yeah. And like, just as an example of, you know, a limited effect that public pressure had and even just like i'm pretty sure purely online pressure on april 3rd jagmeet singh was on cbc's uh show the house uh talking about the upcoming convention and uh, there was a question asked to him by the host about the um resolutions being put forward the palestine resolution being put forward and jagmeet singh spent did not mention Palestinians at all in his in his first response he only talked about the rise of anti-semitism and therefore like conflating Palestinian activism with anti-semitism which is like horrible and then the host went back and was like okay but what about the treatment of Palestinians and even in his next answer he didn't say the word Palestine or Palestinians like just refused to actually acknowledge the like lived reality of Palestinians, even though I remember quite explicitly when he was running for the leadership, bragging about the time that he visited Palestine, which was for an Israeli delegation, for like an Israeli trade mission for the Ontario government, not like actually visiting Palestine. But he like bragged about that because it was like, oh, like I understand, like blah, 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 blah. And people yelled at him on twitter for so long until finally like he made a tweet being like yeah i really messed that one up i should have talked about palestine and like the palestinian human rights and it was still a very like not amazing response but it still like was enough to like actually make him acknowledge that he had fucked things up which is you know just like this tiny little crumb of like okay at least maybe if we yell at him enough he'll say something or do something. I mean, that's the thing. Is it at least puts you in the perspective that these people can be pushed on these issues. And hey, it got to second place on the resolution for that committee. And so I'm hoping that we succeed. But we'll, we'll I guess we'll give an update next week. <laughs> yep. 
that's all we can really do at this point is wait for the results to come in. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Wednesday and Friday at 8 p.m. I'm also going to start uh, streaming on Mondays, doing a game stream with our uh, patron uh, and friend Elrond. We're going to play Far Cry 5, which involves uh, cults. And so I, I, every Monday I'm going to come with a cult fact and we're going to kill cultists. <laughs> Again, 8 p.m. for that. And uh, you can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And Amazon Palm. Yeah, cancelled. You know what? Extended outro. Fuck Amazon for pressuring them not to unionize and spending a shit ton of money to prevent that unionization. And to all those workers who voted uh, yes for unionization, fuck yeah, you're the best and you're not cancelled. You're anti-cancelled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.